Well, it's that time of year again. Tis the season, as they say. Now, for some, the anticipation for the coming day is almost unbearable. Can't wait for the day to get here. And for some of us, it's we're simply barely hanging on. We can't wait for this time to be over because for some of us, it just seems like the ads and the commercials start earlier and earlier each time, doesn't it? I mean, there, there comes a time where you can't even drive anywhere without seeing the signs or you turn on the radio and there's an ad and forget about watching television. I mean, the commercials are endless. There's no escape. But I'm here to tell you, friends, soon it'll all be over. Because in just a week and a half, election day will be here and will be gone. You thought I was talking about something else, right? A mere nine days, and then we will get a reprieve from all those political ads for a time. Maybe February, we'll start hearing about 2024. But I'm not here to bring politics into the pulpit tonight, except to say that one of the most pressing issues in this election cycle, if not the most pressing issue, has to deal with the economy. Jobs, wages, unemployment, uh, the price of gas, the price of food, and and all these things that are money-related can really drive up our anxiety and our stress levels, can't they? It's a very real thing. We lose sleep over things like this. Am I going to have enough money for my mortgage or my rent? What about my student loans? What about gas prices? What about food for my family, clothing? What happens if I can't work? I have a medical emergency. Do I have enough in my emergency fund to survive? What's my bank account, my checking account, my savings account, my retirement fund, my IRA, my 401k? Do I have enough to survive? My friends, thankfully, I am here to tell you that no matter how Wall Street looks, there is no amount of inflation that can affect the economy of the kingdom of God. Our passage tonight offers us eternal peace, rest, and assurance against any market fluctuations. So I encourage you, as I encourage myself, to take advantage of this offer of God's grace from Isaiah 55. Free of charge. No credit card number required. Before I read our passage Sort of as an aside, uh, since we're we're here remembering the Reformation, um, just I'm going to be reading Isaiah 55, but I'm going to be doing so in English. You're welcome. Uh, That's really the only language you would want me to read it in. Uh, But I'm able to do so thanks to the men and women of old, particularly the 16th century, who loved Christ and his church more than their own lives. Men such as William Tyndale, and centuries before him, John Wycliffe, Wycliffe, sorry, <laughs> men who were willing to risk death 
so that their spiritual brothers and sisters could read and hear the life-giving words of Almighty God in their own tongue. I was reminded of this recently. The very Bibles that we own, some that may be at home collecting dust on a shelf, barely cracked open, barely familiarized with, those same Bibles men went to the flames for in order to secure for us. So if it would please you, give your attention to the living, breathing, active Word of God in your own language. Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Lest the, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it Bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Thus far ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. There's a lot to cover here, and I'm not going to uh, try to cover it all. Really, we're going to be looking at uh, the first two verses and the last two verses. Uh, skipping over that middle chunk, those are sermons for another time. And with everything that could be said about those first two and those last two verses, I really want you to take away two things tonight. The first is that I want you to savor the invitation that goes out in this passage. Savor the preciousness of this invitation 
from God. It is an urgent yet gentle plea, and it is summed up in that word repeated four times in verse 1. Come. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Here is an invitation that is universal in scope, limitless in its quantity, and boundless in its grace. It is universal in scope. Everyone, anyone, come if you thirst. Come. It is limitless in its quantity. These waters never run dry. And it is boundless in its grace. You are bidden to come by the one who knows you by name, who knows what ails you and has good and delightful remedies for your thirst. But how is it that one such as you and I are invited guests to this feast, as I'll call it? Well, Matthew Henry on this verse says this. What is the qualification required in those that shall be welcome? They must thirst. Those that thirst are invited to the waters, as those that labor and are heavy laden are invited to Christ for rest. Note, where God gives grace, he first gives a thirsting after it. And where he has given a thirsting after it, he will give this grace. Rejoice and be glad, my friends. There are no other requirements to come to the waters except thirst. No ethnic, no social, no gender, no financial, no academic standards, nothing except thirst. If you are hungry, if you thirst after righteousness, if there is something within you that simply cannot be satisfied by the trinkets of this life, to badly paraphrase C.S. Lewis, then you need to listen diligently to this invitation. Come. The Lord has taken thought of you in your need. And Jesus himself takes up these words in John chapter 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. But like the invited guests in several of Jesus' parables, we can come up with any number of excuses to rebuff this invitation. One excuse might be our unworthiness. Oh, that invitation wasn't for me. It wasn't, wasn't, it was meant for someone else. Someone more worthy than, than I. Uh, I. I'm not fit to come. I don't deserve it. I, I don't have any money. I can't afford to come. I have nothing in my purse, nothing in my wallet. My piggy bank is empty. <laughs> if you knew my credit score, you'd pull back that invitation immediately. But this is the most amazing aspect to this invitation. We are called not because we pre-qualify based on any merit we have or any equity or anything we can bring to the table as if the Lord needed something from us. 
We are invited to the waters because we're thirsty. Everyone who thirsts, come. Since you are thirsty, you cannot afford to not come. What's that? Nothing in your hands to bring? Perfect. You are welcome at these waters. Come, you who have no money, come, buy water, wine, milk, no cost, no price, no money, no problem. Come. But how can one buy without money? Nothing in life is free, Mark. You know that. So who's footing the bill here? The commentator E.J. Young answers this question. He says, The language is evidently designed to point out that the water, wine, and milk are obtained not by human purchase, but by divine grace, the free gifts of God. He goes on, Nevertheless, it may be that the form of expression chosen is also for the purpose of emphasizing the legitimacy of the transaction. Indeed, there was a price paid that man might have water, wine, and milk. And that price consisted in the fact that the chastisement for our peace was upon the servant of the Lord. As a result of that transaction, one may eat and his soul will be filled. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Now, being that we are here commemorating the 505th anniversary of the start of the Protestant Reformation tonight, and seeing as how we are in a passage talking about money and salvation, it's only natural that I bring up the heinous practice of indulgences. It was, after all, the breaking point for Martin Luther. It was what prompted him to compose and to nail his 95 theses, his uh, arguments, his complaints to the church door at Wittenberg. Now, for those who may be unfamiliar with indulgences, here's a working definition for us. An indulgence is the promise of the remission of temporal punishment upon the basis of certain prescribed good works, fasting, prayers, pilgrimages, etc., Mainly, though, it was alleged that the pains of purgatory could be minimized by the payment of money into the church treasury. I don't care how you slice it. That is an offense to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's actually nothing more than a financial marketing scheme cooked up by Pope Leo X in order to raise enough money for a new church basilica, a new church building. And in order to do so, the Pope commissioned one Johann Tetzel, or John Tetzel, to be a salesman for indulgences in Germany. Now, Tetzel was a monk and a popular preacher, so uh, he was going to have uh, be very effective at persuading people to purchase these indulgences for themselves or even for deceased loved ones supposedly in purgatory. Described by one article as the P.T. Barnum of his day, Tetzel traveled the country haggling prices for this salvation, often on the cheap. And he was equipped with his own slogan, the origin of the advertising jingle, if you will. 
As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Can you imagine haggling over the blood of Christ? Can you imagine a market for his death on the cross? Can you imagine checking its stock in the newspaper and saying, well, now is the time to buy, honey. Salvation is down. The blood of Christ is on the cheap. How vile is that? How vile is it that while the Son of God, who took on flesh to bear the wrath of God at the cross for sins he did not commit, as he cried out, in pain and humiliation and in anguish, torture, I thirst. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then with his final breath, as he gives up his spirit, one last shout in victory. It is finished. And yet here we are, And we say, to whom do I make the checkout to? I grew up Roman Catholic, and I remember finding false solace in this doctrine. It made me believe that there was some insufficiency in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Sure, I would have said he came to take my sin away, but... Not all of my punishment. That's where I come in. Made me feel like a team player. It was all up to me. It is finished, sure, but I'll take it from here, Jesus. Thank you. As if my merit or, God forbid, my money could add anything to the preciousness of the blood of Christ. I am so very thankful So grateful that in spite of my wickedness, Christ still bids me to come. And whether or not you have formally believed or known of this repugnant doctrine of indulgences, verse 2 tells us that we spend our money on that which is not the bread of life. For that which does not satisfy, we all like sheep have gone astray. And to you, too, the Savior stands and graciously invites you to come to the waters, to buy without cost, without money, to take, eat, take, drink, just as I am and without even one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Empty-handed, I come. Now, as offensive as indulgences are to the grace of God in Christ, and on top of that, oppressive to the poor within the church, the doctrine does play into our pride, which is another reason why we snub Christ's invitation to come in the first place. What do you mean 
without price, without money. I'm not here for charity. I don't take handouts, all right? I work for everything I have, and I deserve everything that I'm given, and then some. My friends, such thinking fails to understand the sinfulness of sin, as one theologian puts it. Because the Bible tells us that it is simply impossible for us to pay the penalty for our sins ourselves and to live to tell about it. Our righteousness is nothing more than filthy, tattered rags that cannot cover our sin, shame, or nakedness before God the judge. And our money is of no value. Psalm 49, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price for his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Additionally, some may not come to the waters because they don't recognize their thirst. I'll tell you the truth, I recognize my thirst right now. That's for sure. Man, sorry about that. It is said that if you are sweating, you are thirsty, but we can become so dehydrated that we don't sweat, and therefore we don't recognize our thirst. Well, I don't feel thirsty, so no thanks. I'll pass on that water. I'm good. Thank you. And yet others miss the urgency here. We're so busy. We're distracted. We neglect the better portions for the hustle and bustle of things of this world, things that don't satisfy. So we need this constant invitation. Come, come, come to the waters. Oh, yes, I'll come, Lord. Yes, but first let me go and do the... No, come. Well, perhaps when I'm older, when I'm, when I'm settled, when I have things taken care of here and, oh, child, you are weary. You are burdened. You are heavy laden. You are thirsty. Come to the waters, but we don't come. We're busy. We're distracted. We misdiagnose our symptoms. Oh, I don't need to come to the waters. I just need a break. I need an opportunity. I need a chance. I need for my ship to come in. I need time to myself. I just need this, that, or the other thing. I need sleep. No, you need to come to the waters. And you are invited to come. If we only knew who it is who is calling us today, the one who is gentle and lowly in spirit, promising rest for our souls, we would indeed come when he invites us, and we would ask him, beg him for these living waters. I mentioned I wanted you to take two things away. One was the preciousness of this invitation. The second thing is I want you to take away the joy of this invitation. Water can seem a bit boring at times, does it not? Well, we add all sorts of things to water carbonation, high fructose corn syrup, artificial flavoring, tang, I mean, all all sorts of stuff to dress up water. But water is thirst quenching. In the same manner, we can sometimes think of the Christian faith in sort of drab connotations, can we not? Religion. Reformed doctrine. 
theology, fundamentalism. Even the Bible as a term can get tossed around in such an exasperated manner that's almost as if we have no excitement, no energy, no enjoyment or pleasure in the Christian life. We see pictures of the Reformers and the Puritans after them with their straight faces and their plain clothing, and we can wrongly conclude that prim and proper is the only way to be. Stay in line. We're about serious business here as Christians. Now, I'm not trying to be flippant here. I just said a moment ago we don't take seriously the sinfulness of sin. And I'm not advocating that we look more like the world in our appearance or our conduct or entertainment or or conversation or anything like that. But honestly, sometimes as Christians, and I'm preaching this more to myself, we can appear as though we are still on death row awaiting the punishment for our sins. We can have an air about us to those outside the church and even inside the church that we haven't been freed from the bondage of sin and death. That's not the way of Christ. And our passage emphasizes this unparalleled joy that we have. Peter calls it a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. We've talked about this life, or this, this thirst quenching water, this waters of living waters already. The milk and the wine at no cost. And that alone should put a pep in our step. No cost. Free. Now the milk of God's word grows us in grace and holiness and it just tastes good, right? And wine gladdens our hearts, as Proverbs says. God's words at the end of verse 2 are described as eating what is good and delighting ourselves in rich food, like a decadent chocolate cake or those refreshments you all walked by on the way in here. I'm, I'm almost done. We'll get to them in just a second. But just as our chapter begins with these sensory images, the taste and, and the gentle pleas to come, so our chapter ends. Skip down to verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The redeemed of the Lord are led out in joy and peace. And we're joined by some unusual party guests. All of creation shows up and gives us examples of how to praise the Lord. Singing, clapping their hands, mountains, hills, and trees. The hills are alive with the sound of singing. Where have you heard that before? Right here. (laughs) Don't let the Van Traps take that away from us. This is a vision of the fulfillment that we have in Christ. It brings us back to Eden. It moves us ahead to Revelation. If you were to take a look at the last two chapters of Revelation, the, the, the final picture that we're left with from God's revelation, there's a stunning, exquisite, uh, beautiful, delightful picture of our joy in Christ. I just want to point out one thing from Revelation 22. 
The angel shows John the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. You can delight in that. It flows from the throne of God, flows through the middle of the city, and on either side of the river is the tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit bearing its fruit each month. Boundless in grace. Limitless. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now get this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is exactly what Isaiah told us is going to happen. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Creation being a delight to God's people. His people coming to Him. At the center of this is worship. It is seeing Christ face to face for He has bid us to come to these waters. It's okay to smile at this. It's okay to revel in it because John did so himself. He cried out, Amen! Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is the unrivaled joy and it'll last forever. As Isaiah said, no thorns, no briars, all fruitful endeavors. Mountains, hills, creation joining forth in praise of God Almighty. I want to end with this. Imagine you go to the mailbox and you see your mortgage payments due or your credit card statements in the mail or your student loan or something, some payment is due. And you open up the envelope and you see it says zero balance. And it's stamped, paid in full. You just, you can't believe it. What, what, what is this? So you call up the credit card company, you call up the, the mortgage company or the, the, the loan agency, whatever it might be, and you say, I, I, don't, I don't get this. I'm not really sure what's going on here. And they look at your account and they say, no, sir, ma'am, it's true. It's been paid. Zero balance. Oh, and, and by the way, uh, there's also a note here. Uh, your student loan, yeah, it's been paid, but Go ahead and and take more classes. They're paid for as well. Go ahead and enjoy your house. Add an addition onto it if you want. That's paid for as well. Your credit card, it's paid for. Why don't you take the family out to eat? Take your neighbors out to eat. Do something nice for them. You you can't believe it, but you you put the phone down. That that was the 90s reference. You put the phone down on, on the hook there. How are you going to react to that? Oh, well, I guess my balance is paid in full. No! You're going to shout. You're going to sing. You may even dance. You're going to tell somebody. And if you don't tell them, hopefully they figure it out by your behavior, by your conduct. They're going to see that you are out from under this financial burden. My friends, come to the waters. The joy there from that paid in full bill is to an eternal degree when we take Christ up at His word. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. For He has first 
drawn near to us and invited us to come and see him face to face. Jesus paid it all. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, where can we even begin to thank You for the grace of God in Jesus Christ and for the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things about Jesus, who convicts us of our sins, regenerates us unto new life. Lord God, please, we pray that it would please You to do so in the hearts of every person here this evening, that you indeed show them the beauty of Christ, the graciousness of your invitation to come to the waters. Quench our thirst, we pray, in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.